Well, church, so glad to have you here this morning, and I am just excited about this series, about uh, as we've been looking at the 23rd Psalm, we began last week, and this week we begin with, with the next part where it says, uh, he leads, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. And I want to show you a picture here as, as we start out. This uh, I bet many of you know where this is. This is San Francisco in America. This is the Golden Gate Bridge. You're looking from uh, the Tiburon side over to the San Francisco side. And Becca's, uh, my wife Becca, her brother works for the Golden Gate Bridge. He's in charge of all the electronic, all the radio equipment on there. So several times a year he can take people up into the towers. And so Becca, on one of her birthdays, she went up to the tower, not me. He said, Joel, you can come on along. It's like, no, 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 not a chance. That is really high. And in the 1930s, when the Golden Gate Bridge was being built, it was a time in America what we called the Depression. Jobs were really, really scarce. They were hard to find. And when people found out that this bridge was going to be built, they came from all over America to be part of this work. To say that this job was dangerous is an understatement. They had to deal with wind, they had to deal with rain, they had to deal with ice at times because it was so high. On top of this, on top of this the, uh, the other things that went along with it, just because you're working so high over the ground. And it was an incredibly, an incredibly dangerous time for those who were working on there. So much so that in the first phase, the first phase of, of the bridge coming from the San Francisco side, 23 men perished as they fell to their deaths in the water. During the second phase, the project manager, a guy by the name of Joseph Strauss, decided that he would spend the astronomical fee or astronomical amount of 130,000 US dollars, which at that time was just outlandish to spend on safety. Already it was touted as one of the safest projects. This was the first project where they had hard hats. They show a picture, you can go online, the building of the Golden Gate Bridge, and they have a guy with a a rather rude or crude-looking hard hat, and somebody's pounding him over the head with a crowbar to show how strong that the hard hat is. But apart from the hard hats, it wasn't a very safe place until Joseph Strauss came up with this idea. He would put a net he would put a net under the, underneath the, all of the things that they were working on. $130,000, people said. Absolutely crazy to spend that money. You tell the 19 people whose lives were saved when they fell into that net that that price was too outlandish. It wasn't. What happened as a result of this net being built was that the people lost the fear that they had before. And during the first phase... They were afraid, and rightly so, the, the height at which they were working and the lack of safety, especially if you fell through those things, through the uh, iron, you went right down into the water. And they said hitting the water, you would hit at about 88 miles an hour when you hit the water. That's just like hitting a brick wall. But once the net was put up, the men had no fear. In fact, they, they worked so fast that they finished ahead of time. Strauss took away the fear. And fear is a, is a thing in our lives, isn't it, that can cripple. The shepherd, one of his responsibilities is to remove the fear that the sheep have. Sheep are afraid of everything, as we're going to learn here in a little bit. Sheep by nature are very, very skittish. And now I asked this question last week, and I had one person, and I want to make sure that I'm talking to an audience where I don't have a ringer in here. Has anybody here worked with sheep before in your life? 
Okay, well, all right, we got, I, I wondered if you guys had worked with sheep. Okay, so sheep by nature are very, what we call skittish, they're very afraid of everything. Sheep by nature are very dumb. They will eat just about anything, they will drink just about anything, they will get themselves into all kinds of trouble. So the shepherd must watch out for the sheep. But one of the things that a shepherd needs to watch very carefully for is those things which cause the sheep to be afraid. Because it says right here, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Literally, literally, he causes me to do this. Because there's an American idiom that says this. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. You can, you can do many things for a sheep, but you cannot make a sheep lie down unless there are four things that are taken care of for a sheep. And a shepherd had to make sure that all four of these things were taken care of. Because it is important that a sheep lay down. It is important that we as Christians not be afraid. Why? Because fear is a crippler, isn't it? Fear is a crippler. Fear takes our eyes and our, and our minds off of God and puts it onto that thing which is causing us the fear. In addition, sheep need to rest. Do we need to rest? God thought we needed to rest so much that He created a day where He said, on the seventh day, that's a Sabbath day, a day in which you shall rest. Because when we don't rest... I mean, it's one thing to get physical rest, but there is also an incredible need for spiritual rest in our hearts and our lives as well. And that's what we're going to be talking about. But I want to go back to that phrase, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. There are four things that need to be there for the sheep to be able to lie down. The first is that his belly needs to be filled. They need to have a full belly. The second one is that they need to have their thirst satisfied. Sheep need to drink twice a day. And they, but a sheep will, again, sheep will drink from anything. They need to drink good water. The shepherd needs to provide that good water. The third thing is that sheep need to be free of pests. And now that comes in two ways. There's a fly. There's a fly that bothers sheep. It's called a bot fly, B-O-T, a bot fly. And what this fly does, it, okay, sorry, it's going to be a little gross. The fly goes up, up the nose. And it lays its eggs inside the nose of the sheep. Drives them crazy. It literally drives them crazy because they cannot do anything about that. And what the shepherd does is he comes along with a salve. And he puts the salve around the nose and in the nose of the sheep so that the dot fly can't put its eggs inside the nose of the, of the, uh, of the sheep. That's one pest. There's all kinds of pests, but that's a major one that a shepherd needs to watch out for. But there's another thing that the shepherd needs to watch out for. And let me just back this up with just a story. Yesterday I was riding into, I preached at the Saturday AFF church, and as they were coming in, there were two little girls. I was standing on the MTR, and there were two little girls, real little girls, sitting in front of me. And then another little girl came in, and because there was room, she sat down next to the other two. It was big sister, little sister, and then the new girl. And little sister looked over at the, at the other one who was smaller than her, and you could just see her. She went like this. She put her shoulder into the little girl, and the little girl kind of looked at her, moved over a little bit, to which the, the girl, again, she kind of pushed her with her shoulder and kind of moved her over, which she looked again, and pretty soon she's, she's right up against the wall. She, she was pestering this little girl, and the little girl wasn't buying anything. She didn't want any of this. In a, in a flock of sheep, oftentimes you will have one who is much stronger than the other. 
And that one who is stronger than the other, when the, when the one comes to drink or when the one comes to eat, it will butt that one out of the way so that it can't eat. And they're always looking over their shoulder. And the responsibility of the shepherd is to make sure that, the, that there's peace in the flock as well. Peace from those things that are coming from the outside. And the last one that the shepherd needs to take care of, and this is a huge one, that the sheep are free from the fear of predators. Remember, sheep have no, they have no defenses. They have no natural defenses. I was reading in Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, and he relates this story of how a friend came to his home. And if we could show the next picture, please. A friend came to his home, and when he opened up his car door, this jumped out of the car, a little Pekingese. A, a, a little peak. I don't know. It, it looks like a mop, doesn't it? it, it a Pekingese. Sorry if you have a Pekingese. I'm sorry. It, it's a, a Pekingese dog, and his dog jumped out of the car. And yip, 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 yip. It went, and, and pretty soon he said his 200 sheep just went pew, just like that, went in all directions. And from that point on, he said, whenever anybody came over, please leave your dog at home. It doesn't matter that this dog is, is just tiny. It doesn't matter that this dog couldn't do anything. Sheep don't know that. Sheep, by nature, are very, very fearful, very, very skittish of everything. And a shepherd needs to do all that he can to alleviate the fear. I was watching a, a vlog this week on YouTube. I stumbled on it, and it was a, a couple in... In Sweden, they live off the grid. They don't have electricity. They don't have indoor plumbing. They, they just live off the grid. And they, they raise chickens, they raise rabbits, and they raise sheep. And it was interesting to watch them, knowing what, what I know about that sheep are very wary of strangers. In fact, they'll run away from a stranger. And the person who's taking, who was doing the filming, the sheep would come right up to the camera. Obviously, they knew and they trusted the person behind the camera. Now, I was coming in like vlog number 41, so I went back and I looked at, back at a few other ones, and there was one where the lambs were being born. And when the lambs were being born, sometimes a ewe lamb, the, the female lamb, when she has a lamb, she may have two of them. And she may decide to keep one of those lambs, and the other one we call a bum lamb. The other one, the, the mother will just, she'll, she'll reject it. So you come along and you have to bottle feed that, that bum lamb. And so that's what this lady was doing. She had like six or seven of them. And she was bottle feeding these lambs. And she had them right up here in her arms. And they drink the milk. And then afterward, they just fall asleep. And the whole time she's stroking the sheep, you know, caressing the sheep. It is no wonder that then when they get older and they come next to the fence or they even come into the paddock where the sheep are at, the sheep come right up to them. And she'll rub their, she or her husband will, will, you know, pet them on the head or whatever. And the next one comes, and the next one comes, and the next one. Why? Because they absolutely trust the shepherd. And that trust has been built over time, hasn't it? One of the things that your shepherd seeks to do in your life is to alleviate the fear in your life. Fear of what? Well, there's three things, I think. Fear, three major things. Fear of the known, or fear of the unknown. What's going to happen? Well, 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 what's going to happen? Sometimes, boy, have you met somebody like that, or a real worry wart, somebody who worries all the time? <sighs> I'm one of those people. When we lived in America, where we lived in America was in, the, it was in the far north, right up next to the Canadian border. I praise the Lord that he brought us to Hong Kong. I love our winters here in Hong Kong. 
The winter right now, right now in, in, uh, in Minnesota and North Dakota where we were from, there's a blizzard going on, a terrible, terrible snowstorm there. Seeing the pictures of it, I mean, you can't travel on the road. And I come to find out that my daughter and her husband and my granddaughter are, went, went down to see his folks in the midst of this terrible snowstorm. I'm glad I didn't know ahead of time. I'm the one who tends to worry, especially when we were back there and we would have to take a trip. It was inevitable. Every time we took a trip, I'd look at the weather and they'd have a, a snowstorm predicted for the time that we were going to be driving. And I would worry about that. And the weathermen were wrong, and the snowstorm would go the other direction. And I'd worried all this time for nothing, right? And I know you never do that, do you? Sometimes we worry about the unknown. What's going to happen in Hong Kong? What's going to happen with my children? What's happening to them at university? Well, what's this world going to be like for them? We don't know those things. But we do know the shepherd. And what we're going to see with the shepherd is the sheep absolutely trusted the shepherd. Last week, what did we say? It takes courage and it takes humility to put your trust in the shepherd. But can we trust God? Hey, let me say it a little louder. Can we trust God? Yes. yes, you can. Yes, you can. The question is, will you put your trust in Him? It takes courage and humility to say, I need a shepherd. And I need you, God, to lead me in my life. The second thing that can cause fear is the known. Sometimes we're in the midst of things in our lives. We know these things. Sometimes it could be our health, our finances. It could be something going on with our children, something going on at our job. Maybe it's a neighbor, whatever. We're in the midst of something right now. And the fear that happens in the midst of those times can take our focus and our mind off of what it is that God wants us to see. Because in those things that you're going through right now, here's what's so important. In those things that you're walking through right now, what is God seeking to teach you about Himself in the midst of those times? What is God seeking to reveal about yourself that you may not see except that you've walked through this time? The fear of the known. And then lastly, there's the fear of doing those things which we know are right. We know they're right, and we know we should do that. We know we should move out. We know we shouldn't live with that person. But yet, well, what happens if I truly do move out and not live with that person? What happens if I stay the truth in that meeting and not say a lie like my boss told me to? What if I do what is right? And sometimes those things can cause fear in our lives well. Fear is a crippler. Fear is a crippler. Fear takes our eyes and our focus off of God. But the sheep... The presence of the shepherd, the presence of the shepherd took away that fear. It says, it goes on and it says, um, I got a picture of, of uh, some sheep in, in a green pasture. Now it says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now this is a very idyllic setting here. Remember what we talked about last week, for those of you who weren't here last week, we talked about Israel's climate is the very same climate as California. In California, the rains start about November, and they end around the first part of February. And in that time, I'm sorry I don't know the centimeters or the millimeters, but in that time, you can get up to 36 inches of rain in, in that short period of time. So it goes from brown to green really, really fast. And it goes from green to brown really fast, too, because of the temperatures. It says that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
The shepherd takes us to the place. The shepherd provides for us. And the shepherd, but what about the other times? Because remember, what about when it's not green? Another picture here for you. Because this is also a picture out of Israel. Out of the same place in which David would have been talking about. There are those times where it's green. But what about those times when the shepherd leads you here? In those times, David says, he makes me, he causes me, literally, is the way that it should be written. He causes me to lie down in green pastures. There are times that our shepherd leads us into good things. But there are times also that our shepherd leads us here. Do you notice what the sheep are doing? Even in the midst of that time, they're they're eating. Sheep need to lie down. Why? Okay, sorry, here's the second kind of... Yucky one. Sheep, cows, goats, uh, rabbits, they all have what they call a cud. Um, it's, they have their stomachs, and what they, when they lie down, they kind of cough up what it is that they've been eating and chew it again. It's, it's not a pretty sight. But that's, that's why sheep need to lie down. They need to be able to digest their, their food. And if sheep aren't able to do that, they can get really bad. But our shepherd, our shepherd has provided for us. And he is provided so that we shouldn't be afraid. Listen to what Scripture says. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Who do you have within you? If you say that you've prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, who is within you? If we say that Jesus Christ is our personal Savior, who is it that resides within us? Jesus resides within us. Galatians 2.22 says, For I am crucified with Christ, and yet not I live, but Christ lives within me. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who set me free. You have Christ within you. He is the one who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And when you walk through those times that cause you to be afraid, he said, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. Don't put your eyes on the fear. I gave you a spirit of power and of a sound mind. He goes on in his word and he says this in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and 4. I love this verse. It says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Do you notice where it focuses? It focuses on the mind. Because so often, where does the fear play havoc in our lives? It's in our mind. Is it any wonder that in Philippians chapter 4, that Paul says, and, and may the peace of God, which is beyond your ability to comprehend, may it do what? May it guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Your heart and your mind, he said, he will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast who stayed upon that fact. This is, this is where I stand. Because he trusts in you. The sheep absolutely trusted the shepherd. Because they knew the shepherd would not abandon them. They knew that the shepherd would give his own life for them. And he says, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. I don't know who of us needs to hear that this morning. In the midst of what it is that we're walking through, that God the shepherd would say to you this morning, trust in the Lord. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. That's truth. 
And that's truth for us. He goes on. He goes on and he says in in, uh, Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, he says, I will lie down. This is David talking. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, it's interesting. Even in the midst of peaceful places, we can still be ravaged by fear and worry, can't we? You may be in a good place. You may be in a good home. You may be in a good job. And you're just ravaged by fear. In 2004, I had back surgery. And after, while I was convalescing I, after the back surgery, my district superintendent, my boss, said to me, Joel, why don't you and Becca and your family go away for a vacation? And I said, Tim, I, I'd love to do that, but uh, we don't make all that much, and this year we're not going to be able to do vacation. He says, I got just the thing for you. He said, I led a man to the Lord many years ago. He said he was a drug addict and just a wastrel. And he said, but when he came to Christ, he met a young lady and the both of them went into business. God blessed their business incredibly. And he said to to my district superintendent, he said, I want to do something for pastors and missionaries. He said, I want to provide a place for them to go and rest. A place where they don't have to pay, a place that's nice for them. And he said, this this guy has a place in, in Durango, Colorado. He said, it's up in the mountains. He said, it's beautiful. He said, there's three homes there. He said, put your name down on the list. Go there. He said, it's free. It's free. Really nice place. So we put our name down, and they told us, you know, these were the dates that we were going to go. And so we went there, and we looked at the picture on the website, and we just saw one place. It was a Spanish-style hacienda. And so we thought, okay, well, that's where we're going to be staying. And we got there. We checked in, and they said, "Uh, no, you're going to be staying in the log cabin. To say I was disappointed was, yeah, yeah I was disappointed because I'm thinking, in my mindset where we come from in America, log cabin is small. I mean, very small. I mean, 300, 400 square feet. We had six people in our family. That was going to be I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be a little cramped here, but all right, it's free. So they said, you're staying in the log cabin. They said, just go to the end of this road, and you said, you can't miss it. It's the only place right there. So we got back in our car and we drove down the gravel road and we came up this hill and we couldn't see it. We came around the hill and we saw this house. And it's like, yeah, it's logs, but this place is huge. That's not a log cabin. And so Becca said, well, I said, it can't be the place. I said, this isn't a log cabin, this is a log home. And she said, well, you got the key in your hand, put it in the door and see if it works. So I went up to the door and I turned the key and opened the door, and I walked in. It's a 6,000-square-foot 6, log home. I mean, everything. It was just absolutely beautiful. just made my mouth drop. We cried because it's like, God, you've given us such a beautiful place to stay for this week. <sighs> I wish. It was beautiful. And my kids and my wife really enjoyed their time. I, however, I don't know that I slept very well at all during the whole time. Beautiful bed. Beautiful bedroom suite and everything else. What caused me from not sleeping was what the guy said to me just before we walked out of the door. He said this. At night, he said, make sure there is no food on the counters of your kitchen. He said, make sure the doors are all closed. And he said, if you have any garbage in the house, he said, you have to take it all the way down. It was a mile to the road. He said, you have to take all the way down to the end of the road and put it in the... In the Bear-proof garbage cans. 
He said, there are bears all over here. I hate bears. I hate bears. Oh, my goodness. So my kids slept up on the second floor. Beck and I, we slept on the ground floor. The ground floor where the windows were not that far from the ground. And I'm thinking, all a bear has to do is just go right to this window, and he's in the house. And there are big bears in that part of Colorado. I didn't sleep well at all during that time. Every time that the, the security lights outside came on, I was, hey, it's a bear. <laughs> and so the whole time, I'm in this idyllic setting. And yet I can't sleep. Did I see one bear? Nope. Did I see him in my head? Yes, I did. But it caused me not to be able to rest. And the shepherd seeks to take away the fear. You can be in an idyllic setting and still be consumed by fear. What's causing you to be afraid this morning? Only you know that. Can you take that fear this morning and bring it to the feet of your shepherd? The shepherd who said that he loves you. The shepherd who calls you his child. The shepherd who says, your very names are written on the palm of his hand. The shepherd who said, all the days ordained for you are written in my book before one of them ever came to be. That shepherd who said, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. Can you bring that to the shepherd and say, this is keeping me awake at night. This is making me tums by the bottle. This is destroying my life. All I think about is this. And God, I realize today that you are my rock. You are the one in whom I can trust. God, will you take this? The problem is, when you give it to him, you have to leave it there. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in him. What is it today that God is asking you to bring to the shepherd? Sheep need rest. Sheep need rest, but they also need water. It says that he leads me beside still waters. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. In the same way that a sheep, you cannot make a sheep lie down. A sheep will not drink from water that is rushing. I've got a picture here of sheep. This is what sheep need. Sheep will drink from something that, that's still. Because if the water's all roiled up, they don't know what's in the water. In addition to that, Sheep are afraid. They don't, want to, they don't want to get their wool wet because they get their wool wet in water that's rushing by and what are they going to do? They're going to sink right into that. And so the shepherd needs to provide. But what about if you've got a stream? That's all that you have because I've seen pictures of sheep where they're standing on the bank. There's rushing water going by. They're thirsty, but they will not drink because the water is rushing by. And it's the shepherd's responsibility to make sure that they're able to drink. So what he'll do is he'll wade out into the stream and he'll take rocks and he'll make like a dam to where the water inside of there is calm. The water outside can be rushing, but he provides the still water so that the sheep can drink. God created each and every one of us with a thirst. A thirst that can only be satisfied with God and God alone. You can use other things in your life. You can use degrees. You can use business. You can use work. You can use your children. You can use all kinds of things in your life to satisfy that thirst that only God can satisfy. But it will never, it will never take care of that, that's, that thirst in your heart and your life. David said in Psalm chapter 42, 
verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That, that's, a prayer of de- that's a prayer of desperation. It's interesting. This psalm begins the second part of the psalms, of the book of psalms. I don't know what's going on in David's life when he says this. But I wonder how many of us would say the very same thing. As a deer pants for waters, O oh God, so my soul longs for you. And sometimes we come to that place in our lives and we read that verse and we think, it's been a while since my heart has thirsted after God. What are you using in your life to satisfy the thirst that only God can satisfy? Some of us, we try to medicate our lives with pornography. It doesn't work. Oh, it may satisfy for that long, but it doesn't work. Others of us, we satisfy that thirst with with work. If I just get to the next level in the, in the office, then that'll satisfy. That'll finally make my dad be proud of me or my mom say good things about me. Sometimes we, we satisfy that, that urge with, and you fill in the blank. God is the only one who can satisfy the thirst of our lives. The next illustration that I'm going to use, I use in an international setting. And I, I pray and I hope that if any of you are of, these, of this descent, I don't say this illustration in a condescending way. I just simply offer this illustration. At the very end of World War I, British soldiers and their allies were seeking to, to get the Turkish soldiers out of, out of Palestine, out of the area that would become Israel. That's why I say if you are Turkish descent, I'm, I, I mean nothing against you. But in the process of trying to get the, of chasing the Turks out, they started out at, at Beersheba. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you find there that Abraham and Isaac, the, the wells at Beersheba, it means seven wells. They, were, they started at Beersheba and were trying to get to the city of Sharia. In the process, though, they had a caravan, or they had a camel caravan that carried all of their water. But as they were chasing the Turkish soldiers, they got so far removed from their caravan of camels that they got, they got lost from them. And finally, by the time they got to Sharia, I'd said yesterday it was three days, it was two days as I went back. After two days of no water in that heat, they said many of them said they had splitting headaches, their tongues were swollen, they could hardly, they could hardly think but yet they had to chase these Turks out of there because they knew that the Turks now were in the city of Sharia. And so for another day, they literally fought for their lives as they drove the Turks out of Sharia. And in Sharia, there was a large cistern. A cistern is something that catches the water. It's not a pretty place to get water from, to drink. But here was a cistern. And, he, and the commanding officers knew that when these men who hadn't had a drink in over two days and after having, having fought the Turks to get them out, he knew that they would just be a mad dash to get this water at this one place, this cistern. So he ordered there to be guards on, on either side of the cistern. And he said, the wounded and the sick first. They were the first ones to come up. And these men stood there on guard for four hours. It was four hours before all of the soldiers had come up and finally had an opportunity to drink. And one of the commanding officers, as he watched the men drink, he said, oh, if we would thirst for God, 
in the way that these men would thirst, thirst after this water, which only satisfies for a time, what would our lives be like? David said, as a deer pants for waters, so my soul pants for you. God created us with a, with a thirst in our souls that only he can fill. Are you thirsty for him? Or are there other things? Other things that are taking their place. Last week I talked about getting away. Getting away and allowing there to be a time in your life where there's quiet in your life. So hard in, in Hong Kong to do that, isn't it? To find a quiet place. To find a place where you can just sit and listen to God. And it's difficult. But I really believe that it's something that God calls us to. Why do I, why do I say that? In Genesis, we read that on the seventh day, God rested. And he called the day, what? Sabbath, but what else did he call it? Holy. Then, go to the book of Exodus, and later on, the book of Deuteronomy, and we see written in the Ten Commandments this this nasty little commandment about keeping the Lord's day. Keeping the Sabbath day. Somebody asked Billy Graham once, how many of the Ten Commandments does God expect us to keep? And he said, I think God meant for us to keep them all. And we can say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't stolen. I haven't coveted my neighbor's wife. I haven't haven't done that. But what about this issue of, of, of a Sabbath? And you're saying, okay, Pastor, where you live in your la-la land, maybe you can take a Sabbath, but I live in the real world. I get up at 6.30 in the morning, and I don't get home till 9.30 at night. And I work six days a week. And on Sunday, on that, la- on that other day, you know what I do? I do everything else that I couldn't get done on those six days. I don't know where in my world I will ever fit a Sabbath. And to that I say, don't kill the messenger. Go back to God. Because this is something that God calls us to. God calls us to a Sabbath. It's interesting to watch some of your countenance right now. It's not something that we should be ashamed of saying, oh, I can't do it. You go back to God and say, God, you have called me to this. You've called me to a time, a Sabbath, a day that six days of the week you said are are mine. But on that seventh, you said, that's a day that I'm to give to you. God, how do I do that? How do I do it? Does that also involve trust on our part? Oh boy, does it ever. Does it ever. Let me, let me tell you why. As I began, as I began listening, uh, I had a pastor share at one of our pastor's gatherings. He talked about a story. It was a true story about a, a guy who was in Irian Jaya, New Guinea area, and he was wanting to get from one place to another place. He wanted to get there in three days. He hired a bunch of people to carry all of his stuff. He paid them, and he said, and so he said, in three days, he said, I want to be at this place. First day, he just pushed them really, really hard, and they got farther than where they were supposed to be on the first day. Second day, he did the very same thing. The third day, he got up with the, you know, as it was getting light, and he looked at his tracker, or his trackers who were supposed to be carrying all of his stuff, and they were all sitting against a tree. And he said, what are you doing? He said, come on, let's go. And they said, no. They said, what do you mean, no? He said, I paid you.
for three days to carry my stuff from this, from this place to this place. And he said, let's go. And they said, no. And I will never forget this line. They said, no. Today we stay here. Today we allow our souls to catch up with our body. And I really believe that's what the Sabbath is all about. A day that allows our souls to catch up with our bodies. Is this a tough thing to do? Oh my goodness, is it ever. Just like I said, we live in a six-day work week here in Hong Kong. And that seventh day, you come to church in the morning, but in the afternoon it's like, wow, i got to get this done, i got to get this done, i got to get this done. And then where, where's God in the midst of that? What does the Sabbath look like? I don't give this as saying we're, we're perfect, but for Becca and I, we take Mondays off, and it's a day that I bless your hearts, love you, but it's a day that I don't think about church, I don't talk about church, I don't go to the church, because I need a day to give over to the Lord. Becca and I go to church generally on, on Monday mornings. We'll watch uh, another preacher on, on the Internet, and we'll watch that preacher and then spend some time in prayer and then do something else. Go for a walk, go for a hike, uh, whatever it might be. She probably wants to go bungee jumping or something like that. But just go, go do something that just gets, get away. Get out of the house and just allow God to pour back into your life. Because those days are so important. Jesus said to his disciples, come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Who else does that sound really good to right now? Come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. But the rest that God is talking about is not just physical rest. It is spiritual rest as well. A time where God can pour back into our souls what is missing. We cannot give out what God hasn't put in. And it is interesting in those times where you set apart that time what it is that God says, what it is that God puts in your heart. The shepherd seeks to alleviate the fear in your lives. Fear of the unknown, fear of the known, fear of doing what is right. Where are you at this morning in that in that rage? What's causing you to fear this morning? Can you bring that to the foot of the shepherd, the shepherd who loves you, and say, I cannot handle this anymore, and I give this to you? What about this issue of rest? Are you resting? Are you taking that time apart with God? Does your soul thirst for God? And if it doesn't, what are those things? What are those things that you're using to to satiate the thirst that only God can fill? And if you don't know, ask God. God, would you point those things out in my life? Because he will. He will. And replace those. Say to God, God, I have used these things to satisfy the thirst of my heart that only you can fill. But God, today, would you be the one that puts within my heart just a desire and a longing for that which only you can give? Do you think he longs to honor a prayer like that? Oh, he does. But do we desire, but do we desire that water like David talked about there? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for the fact that you are a shepherd.
you love us far deeper than what we will ever know. And God, you have provided for us. Last week, we saw how you provide for us so that we don't have needs. You see to it that our needs are met. You are also the God who causes me to be able to lie down. And God, for some of us, there are things in our lives which have been there for years. For some of us, there are things that came up this week that that scare us. Am I going to have a job? What's going to happen with my child now? Some of those things are unknowns. We don't know what's going to happen, and yet they consume us. For some of us, we are faced with saying something, doing something that we know is right. And yet, if we do it, what's going to happen? And God, in all of it, I pray. I pray that, God, we can come to you, our precious shepherd, and lay those fears, lay those things that keep us awake at night, lay those things that cause us to just take our eyes off of you and onto, onto that thing which causes us fear. God, would we lay those things at your feet? And precious shepherd, I pray right now as there are those here who are doing that very thing that you ask. They are bringing those fears and laying them at your feet. Lord, I pray that the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be that which covers them. A peace that is beyond our ability to comprehend that God, it would guard both their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. And precious Father, You not only call us to lie down, but you lead us to the still waters. Lord, you alone know what what we use to satisfy a thirst that only you can satisfy. You see that for some of us, you are that which satisfies. But for others of us, if we're honest, there are those things that we use to satisfy with that which only you can. God, in the honesty of our hearts, as we pray and ask you to point those things out, you're so tender with us. You tenderly point those things out and you remind us that it is for those things that you died. Precious Lord, would you put within our hearts not only individually, but as a corporate body, which you put within our hearts a passion for you. A thirst for you that will not go away until you, we meet with you. And God, would you teach us, oh God, would you teach us how to Sabbath. Lord, it's an issue of trust. If I don't do that, then how is it ever going to be done? And I don't have the answer, God. But I know that you honor faithfulness. And God, as we take that step to be obedient, I know that, God, you are the one who honors that faithfulness. And I pray that, God, we would allow our souls to catch up with our bodies. And that you would pour into our lives only that which comes in the midst of quiet.
Lord, this is a precious flock. And we need you. We need you as our shepherd. As we leave here today, we walk into a world where there are many things that loom ahead of us. Precious shepherd, lead us. Lead us and direct us very, very clearly in the way it is that we should go. And I pray that, Lord, we will truly be able to say, I will lie down in peace. Father, go with this precious flock, I pray, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. May the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, your shepherd, your good shepherd, may he walk with you this week, and may he lead you and guide you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.